In 2018, the Wealth Standard Podcast broke down the year into three seasons, each focusing on a principle from the inspired works of philosopher John Locke, specifically his philosophy on life, liberty, and property. In 2019, we progressed from principle to the ideal environment for building wealth and achieving prosperity. The theme was laissez-faire capitalism. For season two, it continues. The theme is entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship and how you apply the principles and environment to the individual. The guests ranging from economists to entrepreneurs to political influencers, authors, and more will teach you how to take your life to the next level. Now, on to the next episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, Patrick Donahoe here, and thank you for listening to this week's episode. You guys are going to get a kick out of this. The person that's on, you probably don't recognize his name. Talk about him in just a second. But first, I wanted to take a second and just say how thankful I am for the response that I've received over the last several weeks based on the kickoff episode. Sometimes I sit here recording and I, you know, have guests on and there isn't a present audience. And I realize that the audience is far removed from me physically and visually. But hearing from all of you has inspired me a great deal. I've heard stories of transformation, stories of those who just had realizations and an impact based on things they listened to on the podcast that changed their life. Opportunities for business, for investment, for changing the way they manage their finances. It's been incredible to hear those. And I'm starting to incorporate some of the ideas that have come from these interactions. So thank you so much, guys. Keep them coming. I mean, leave reviews on iTunes. That is really helpful because it gets the word out. But also email me. And for now, just use the Patrick at PatrickDonahoe.com. I'll try my best to respond to you directly. But as far as feedback is concerned, just, you know, what your experiences have been, what you have liked, what you would like to see more of, just that simple feedback means a great deal to me. And I'm going to change a few things because of it. So first thing I would say is I'm going to try to do some more feedback based on my opinion of the subject matter as well as the guest and why I'm having this specific guest on. And then also just some commentary around financial strategy. There are a lot of you who really enjoyed the Financial Fridays that we did last season, although we did not do them every week. Still, there was a lot of feedback in regards to the content there. And so thank you guys for pointing that out. Like I said, I'm humbled by all of you who are actually taking what I believe has changed my life and those who I know as clients, but also It means just the world to me to know that you have taken action on certain principles, on certain strategies, and taken them to heart and done something about it. It means so much. So thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. All right, so let me get to the guest today. So the guest today, you're probably not going to recognize his name or the company. It's Orbit. He's the CEO of Orbit Medical. Brandon is actually someone I grew up with in central Connecticut, and I've known him since my childhood. And I consider him one of my best friends and he has inspired me over the years. And he, I would say, is exemplary of this idea of our theme this season, which is entrepreneurship. Brandon has gone through a lot in his business career and it's just indicative of what happens through overcoming obstacles and facing challenges. And I would say that within business and entrepreneurship, you're going to face the gamut regardless of what industry it is. 
And this is obviously the medical industry and specifically medical supplies. It's a highly regulated industry. And oftentimes you deal with things that are completely out of the blue. But I believe that Brandon and his passion and desire to achieve and also receive that sense of fulfillment that comes from achievement is going to be the perfect guest. And so we'll probably tell some jokes and some childhood stories and probably memories that he doesn't want to relive or I maybe I don't either. But we had some great times growing up and we have kept in touch and he lives close to me now. And it's going to be awesome for you guys to kind of see maybe a different side of me, but also talk to somebody that I have just a great deal of respect for that has inspired me probably more than he realizes. So with that being said, let's cut to my good friend who's the CEO of Orbit Medical, Brandon Bliss. Hey everyone, this is Patrick here. And for this episode of the Wealth Standard Podcast, where we're talking about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship, I always say I have special guests, but this guy is a really special guest. Brandon is the CEO of Orbit Medical, President CEO of Orbit Medical. And Brandon and I grew up together in central Connecticut. And the reason why I wanted to have Brandon on the show is because I've had a tremendous admiration for him for a really long time, starting when I was really young. Our friendship over the years, especially as evolved in business, has really provided an outlet for me to talk about my business, challenges that I face, ideas, and Brandon is just like a wealth of information. And he has also experienced a lot of success in business and also just the challenges that most businesses face. So I thought it'd be cool for us to talk about like, because we had a conversation a few months ago, maybe a year ago about like, okay, I got to this level. Like, how did you get to this level? Like, Our parents were entrepreneurs. Our parents didn't necessarily tell us to do this, 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 and this, but yet we wound up in this situation, right? But I think us kind of seeing each other grow up and the experiences we had together growing up and then seeing where we're at today is really cool to reflect on. So we're going to do a little bit of that to begin and then really get into his business background and then talk about what he has seen in the marketplace as far as successful entrepreneurs and what makes a successful entrepreneur. So first off, I know you don't do podcasts. But yeah. you know, I try to make it so we're just having one of our normal discussions. Yep. Terrified, but happy to get this one under my belt. <laughs> so thanks for having me. But thanks for coming on, man. So let's start with maybe on the lines of discussion we had maybe a year or so ago with like our parents weren't entrepreneurial necessarily, right? We grew up in just a normal middle, lower middle class kind of set of circumstances. We both chose different careers. You're in the medical field, finance, but yet at the same time decided to kind of do our own thing or at least wound up doing our own thing. So as you look back, like how we've pieced together, like what are some of the things that made you want to do that and why you're doing what you're doing today? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure why or the way I am, but I think it goes back even to childhood where my buddies were lifeguards, my buddies were flipping burgers, and I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to make way more money, open my own landscaping company work half the time, outsource the work to my brothers or other buddies. And <laughs> I worked for you for a couple of months right. summer. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. But that, yeah, I've always not done real working for other people. And I prefer to be in charge. I think I'm just wired that way and came out that way. And I've always gravitated to that. So even out of college, I studied finance at the University of Utah, took a job in sales with one of my buddies, recruited us, and I had a lot of success, quickly became one of the top salespeople. And they started throwing equity at me just so I wouldn't leave. And then got a taste of owning businesses as opposed to working for other people. And once you get a taste of that, it's very hard to go back. So I would do everything I could to get additional equity and buy out people or take advantage of circumstances so that I had more upside. And that's what I've been doing. And then along that whole way, diversified as quick as I can and started trying to get equity in other, other businesses, other businesses and, and get the money working for me. 
So one thing that I connected with, I think is a similarity of us, like you were really successful in football. You played football at the U for a couple of years and looking at hockey, sometimes the drive to excel and succeed and win, right, translates into other areas of life. And you've always had kind of that characteristic. So as you look at like that drive and that, I would say, tenacity, right, for business, because business and excelling and succeeding comes, comes with challenges and failures as well. That's kind of proportional in, in some cases. How is that tenacity and that drive that we experience maybe in sports played into that? Yeah, it crosses over very well. I mean, if you're going to compete at the higher levels of any sport, you have to have an edge. You have to be super competitive and you want to win. You hate losing. And yeah, I think if you can translate that and bring that into your business and compete at that level and make your competitors very nervous to go up against you and then keep your foot on the gas the whole time, like innovating and finding better ways to compete, usually the outcomes are positive and that you capture market share and you retain talent and everybody wants to be with whoever's winning. So that has served me well here. I mean, I was much more successful in high school at sports than I was in college. I tried hard, but I think the time that you have to put in, the dedication, the hard days, the pain you feel, all that stuff will help you take the punches, I guess, when you start businesses or you're trying to get companies to the next level. And Yeah, sports will set you up because there's so many setbacks in sports. There's so many injuries or disappointments or heavy, hard losses that you're going to experience that business. You're going to fail. You're going to get punched. You're going to have three snakes coming at you at once and you got (laughs) to maneuver through it and be tough and not give up. And if you're really tough, you win sometimes. I've connected is with businesses that I've seen. I think you've had more experiences here, but when I see success in somebody like an entrepreneur or a business or an investor or someone that's just successful in general, you tend to have kind of two camps. You tend to have those that have only experienced success, right? And then you have those that have experienced proportional amount of hardship. And then looking really at what I've seen from that point going forward, the failures I tend to see are those that have experienced lots of success, get punched in the face and don't know how to react, right? Yeah. Have you seen that? Like as you've looked at other businesses, as you've been involved with your own and just employees in general, like where have you seen that dynamic? Yeah, you're right. It reminds me of a book, that E-Myth book, where everybody wants to has some success working for someone else and yeah. thinks they can duplicate and do it, do it elsewhere. And as I've watched, I guess there's a few experiences in my life where I've seen people go down that path and crash and burn. And I think about why that happened. It's very easy to read books and maybe watch other people do things. But if that individual, that CEO, that founder, if he can't surround himself with the right people, if he can't actually execute on the plan and get enough cash flow coming in just to survive until they can figure out exactly how to compete, it most of the time doesn't work. That's why so many businesses fail. I think the number of people that can actually execute on that are few and far between. There's a lot of people with big, big ideas and work in a big organization and contribute and do well, but to take the risks and the punches and to go off and do it on your own and then execute, if you haven't done it or you haven't been part of someone that's done it and you're right there, like it's hard. And I think if you look at like these tech startups, I'm involved with some of them and, and I've put money into them. And this is, I guess, my tuition in this world. I am not successful in investing, but just kind of watching. And these are like your subscription-based tech companies that are doing rounds of funding and trying to hit it big and whatever. Has that founder actually done it himself? Can he raise the capital? Can he execute? Can he hit the different milestones that they need to to get the scale so that someone will acquire them? And that's hard. Most will never, ever do it. And 
I learned that the hard way. I learned that in the process of investing in them. But I think it can be applied to all kinds of different businesses. Great ideas. People may even have passion, but if they cannot connect the dots, if they just don't have that dynamic, chameleon-like social skills to be able to kind of just put it all together until the cash flow stabilizes, it just doesn't work. So let me, I'm going to hit on something you said just a moment ago and then kind of go to what you just said. So from a people perspective, you said that since you were young, you really couldn't work for, for other people, right? I think that's oftentimes the cause of people going out on their own. They can't work for this person. They can't work for that person. But talk about your experience with understanding people because an entrepreneur that goes out on his own that can't work with other people, I mean, that's another big red flag, right? So even though you can't work for necessarily a boss per se, like how have you seen the ability for successful entrepreneurs as it relates to to relationships and communication and having people that are part of their organization? Man, we could talk two-hour podcasts on that question alone. That's great. It's funny. I was in bed last night watching The Profit on this MSNBC show. And you see this guy, Marcus, he goes into these businesses and he's dealing with entrepreneurs that are most of the time pretty rough around the edges. They have not been able to scale or execute or make any money and they're in dire straits. So he comes in and puts in his people and his processes and and all this stuff. But a lot of what I see, he's got the psychology thing understood and he knows how to kind of get people in the right lanes and get it going. For me, it was an awareness. And I think most entrepreneurs, I would say a lot of them like me, alpha male, type A, driven, athlete, they can only take businesses so far unless they get the right people around them and step back and stop controlling everything and then become aware of where they're good and where they're not good and then empower people to scale. And some guys or gals can actually like become aware of that. And other ones, it's a disaster because no one ever helps them. They don't engage a coach. They don't engage a mentor that will open their eyes to the next level or what has to happen to get to the next level. I think for me, I've had partners like this. I've had wonderful, like phenomenal sales guys that have equity in the business that grew it, scaled it, but it topped off. The ops weren't where they needed to be. They ran out of money. The investors pulled and they could not get outside of themselves and get the people on the team to continue to the next level. And it really just comes down to how coachable is that person? How grounded? How stable? Are they emotionally stable? Yeah. And if they're not, if they're erratic, if they're irrational yeah. and they're all over the place, yeah. people just eventually don't want to work with them. No way. So I don't know if you've ever read Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. No, oh, dude, that's such a good book. So he wrote a few books, but his two primary ones are Ego is the Enemy and The Obstacle is the Way. And so he's an incredible writer. But I recently went back and read a few parts of the Ego is the Enemy. That's one of the biggest dangers, right? Because when you succeed, it's kind of like naturally ingrained in us where it's like, wow, like I succeeded. Look at me. That's one of the most dangerous periods of time too, because when you reach that status, it's kind of like you don't want to experience the other side of the spectrum. But when you hit that status, that's when you have tremendous amount to lose because nobody likes the person that is masking failure. Because even though you've achieved the level, in order to achieve the next level, you're still going to experience failure. You're yeah. still going to experience challenges. They're just going to be new. Yeah. But if you start to equate success with not failing first, it's going to be a slippery slope. And I think sometimes this has been my experience where my biggest failures have come from making a mistake, right? Or the organization failing in certain aspects and masking it. 
Yeah. Right. Because that essentially starts to hide certain things, create doubts because people know. And I think there's this power of vulnerability where, especially from a leadership perspective, right? If people know that you're fallible, people know that you fail and that you're okay with it and you realize that that's part of the equation, it kind of makes them comfortable as well. But what I've connected is that my failures have often come from me doing things that I should not be doing. I think an entrepreneur, right, has, or a business owner has certain attributes and characteristics and specific roles and responsibilities attached to that. If they start to deviate outside of that and do things they shouldn't be doing, especially if they're other people's responsibilities, that's where the whole kind of ecosystem yeah. starts to break down. Totally right. And I've seen this company I'm CEO of right now, 140 employees, and I've kind of grown up with this company. I started, I was part of the original team in 2003 that started it, and I've gone all the way till today in the same company. And we've grown as leaders and failed over and over again as we kind of figured out how to make money. Yeah, we lie to ourselves. We pretend we don't have problems. We turf build, we create silo, we do all kinds of stupid things yeah. that, that hurt the business and prevent us from growing and doing what we need to do. And getting rid of that behavior or being vulnerable and admitting, hey, with the bed there, I totally <laughs> messed up. And this is the outcome. And I want to share that with you as a team so that you don't make the same mistake I did. Like, let me fall on the sword here. It's actually people love that. People are more willing to say, you know what? I need help here. I'm not the right person for this position. I need to bring somebody in and we can start actually moving forward. And I wish, man, if I would have learned these lessons 10, 15 years ago, I'd be very well off right yeah. now. And I'm not as well off as I, I wish I was. But the point is, is like, there's no way you would have really understood that unless you actually went through the experience yeah. to be aware of it. In hindsight, I mean, it's always, you can always, I beat myself up. In hindsight, I should have done this, this, and this, or I could have executed this turnaround quicker if I would have done this, this, and this. And it's unfair for others and for myself to kind of beat yourself up over that. But yeah, there's a lot of coulda, woulda, shouldas that I wish I learned the lessons quicker. And so I'd be better faster. One of the things, quote came to my mind, I'm a big The Rock. I really like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Johnson. In my office, my favorite quote I have in a big framed wall, it says, the wolf is always scratching. Have you, have you heard this story? Uh -uh. So I guess he tells the story when he was young, they were in Hawaii, he was poor. They couldn't meet their rent. And the landlady was always, the landlord was always coming in to knock on the door and ask for the rent. And they were like this close to eviction all the time. And he's obviously done very, very well now, but he's kind of taken that same fear and used that as a weapon or a, as motivation in his life to never, ever take his foot off the gas, to stay hungry. He says, the wolf is always scratching. That means that somebody's always trying to knock him off his horse. Someone's always trying to beat him or be the next best actor or beat him in this role or that role. And so he's just like, I, you just have to stay on edge, hungry, competitive. In my company, we use the word 212. You have to keep it at 212. That's boiling the boiling point. point of water. And it's just that extra degree of intensity that allows you to be super competitive and hard to beat. If you're an entrepreneur, you've got to keep, keep that edge somehow. <laughs> this is from a principle standpoint. Everyone wants to be successful. And I think it's naturally ingrained in us. And it's not this one-time event, right? It's like. It's something that happens over and over because once a person gets to one point, like they may achieve something, but yet they're still thirsty for the next achievement and the next one. I think the sooner you're aware of that, the much easier the path is going to be, right? But the point of me explaining that is that entrepreneurs doesn't necessarily have to mean that you have to start a business. Doesn't mean that you have to go out on your own. Doesn't mean you have to build a team. I think entrepreneurs, I think intrapreneur is also important to understand 
where it's desiring to be successful and knowing that it's okay to be successful, but success isn't the same for everyone. So in your business, have you helped like employees feel that sense of success? And I'll set it up a little bit because what I've discovered is everyone has specific talents and strengths. And they're different. We're all different. Every human being is different. As you discover those, as you become aware of those, and especially as an employer, as you align the role and responsibility of employees to those strengths, that's where you tend to have the most amount of happiness and success. So my question to you would be, okay, what are some of the ways in which you've discovered your own strengths and pinpointed those and focused your role and responsibility around that, but also for employees? Okay, great question. I'm not a TV guy. I try to read as many books as I can get my hands on. I notice you have a a nice library here. I read a ton of books. I try to get as much knowledge I can from people that have already gone down this path and hear from their failures, their successes, and then try to adopt some of those things. So that's one thing. I made the plunge and and engaged with coaches and consultants, mentors. I have some mentors that don't charge me anything, but have been kind enough to take me under their wing and give me pointers. And I try to meet very frequently with them and have candid conversations with me and what my personality type is like and where my roadblocks are, what I can't see exactly as clear as I need to. And then the coach, I actually pay for a coach that gets into all my business and helps me understand and interviews my network and figures out kind of this is what you think your problems are. And then this is what the people closest to you think your problems are, including your wife. And you're lying to yourself. You think this isn't true. And so I, that's a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> yeah. But you want to experience growth, and that's kind of what you have to do. You have to be willing to work on yourself harder than you do at any job. And then hopefully in that process, you you recognize where were you born? What were you born to do? What are these natural strengths that you don't have to work that hard at developing? And then stay in that lane as much as you can. And all the gurus, all the there's a lot of guys that have written a lot of books that are way smarter than me that I've read that over and over again. But it didn't actually sink in until the coach is analyzing your personality profile and then reviewing what your peers or your network is telling you. And you're like, oh, crap. All right. (laughs) I need to stay in this lane and I need to delegate. Even though I think I can do this person's job better or do that same role better than they can, I have to discipline myself to step out and be okay with them doing it their way and stay out of their way Mm -hmm. as much as that's hard for me because I want to like coach them and tell them how to do it and follow up and repeat myself over and over again. And it does no good. They have to do it themselves their way. And if they are interested in your opinion, typically they'll ask. Otherwise, you probably shouldn't offer your counsel until they're ready to listen. That's what I've done. You just got to work on yourself, become aware of where you're supposed to do your strengths and then stay in that lane as much as possible and then supplement the other parts with good people attract the best people in each of these different marketing, sales, operations, finance, and get them what they need and mm-hmm. stay out of their way and just support them. Well, have you ever uh, heard of John Boyd? Heard of him. Yeah. So he's kind of like one of those early, early like personal development business guys, but he was a Vietnam war pilot. And he had this kind of theory that he turned into a business theory called an OODA loop. It's a feedback loop. So UDA is an acronym. It stands for observe, orient, decide, act. So the observation comes from the feedback. So first, it's like, so in war, like what he would do is he'd have the theory of like, okay, he'd observe, which is all the feedback that's coming at him, whether it's his instruments, whether it's where the planes are, orient himself as it relates to what's going on in the environment, then make a decision on what to do. 
act and then keep on repeating it. So the idea is like, from what you're saying, most people hate feedback because they're afraid of what they're going to look like if the feedback isn't good. At the same time, feedback is feedback. So if you essentially get that feedback, you're able to orient yourself appropriately and then make a decision and act and continue to do that. But oftentimes, we're our own feedback. And as you say, we lie to ourselves, right? We say things are better than they are. We say, I'm good. They're not. It's their fault, not mine. We don't take responsibility. I think mean, there's some human tendencies there. As it relates to employment, employees, and feedback, it's everyone does a job and they get results from that job. I have discovered that there is a way to really help a person understand that there are strengths and good about them. And that their level of happiness and success and fulfillment is when they're doing what's in that zone the majority of time. But the only way they can actually discover what those strengths are is by taking assessments, right? I'm not sure which ones you've done in the past. There's a million of them out there, right? Myers-Briggs, Strength Finders, Gallia. There's ways in which we can discover things about ourselves and look to the past and get the feedback because the sooner we can accept the feedback and the sooner we can accept that there are a lot of things that we could do, but there are only a handful of things that we're really good at and that those good things will align with our happiness and success. The sooner you do that, even before you become an entrepreneur, do your own business, it's like discovering that is going to give you what all the stuff that you're doing is what you're looking for anyway. Because in the end, it's like, is it a pile of money that you want? And are you willing to sacrifice 30 years of unhappiness to get a pile of money so then you can be happy, right? Or is it figuring out a way to be happy right now and be successful right now? And I think that's one of the feedback I got from a listener was in relation to the definition of wealth, right? She was referring to Dave Ramsey, where Dave Ramsey has like his programs and people are wealthy, right? At the end of these programs, but they didn't go on vacation. They drove a five-year-old Camry for 10 years or 20 years. They took the bus and sat next to smelly people. They vacationed at the Holiday Inn. It's one of those things where it's like they sacrificed all the happiness to have wealth, which is a pile of money. And I don't think that's wealth, right? I think having a great experience doing what you love and being happy and doing that is the true measure of a successful entrepreneur. But it's very utopia-ish. Uh, yeah. And I know that that's not realistic, but I mean, obviously the reason we're doing this season, right, is because I think everyone has a drive to be successful, to achieve wealth, to achieve those levels. And the sooner they can understand the principles behind it, the sooner they're going to be able to actually take some action and get some results. Yeah. I agree with everything you said and figuring out that why, like what it is you were born to do and who are you supposed to become and what drives you to like the deepest levels of happiness? Like each individual person is going to, I guess, ask themselves those questions and seek those answers. And I'm in the middle of my journey, so I don't have much to say on that. And I'm actually more aware today than I was even six months ago or 12 months ago. And thinking about those bigger, deeper questions, I get teenagers in my house now and I'm looking, you know, I turned 40 this year. We, I guess we turned 40 this I year. I already turned 40, dude. Anyway, you did, you were slightly older than me. That's right. But now I'm like, Man, I have some years left and I want to accomplish some things. I want to be successful. I thought I wanted this pile of money, but I'm realizing that pile of money doesn't do much. I've got, I've got money and it doesn't give me the fulfillment that I thought it would. So now what is it that I really want to do with, with the strengths and with the time I have and how do I give back and how do I create jobs and bless other people's lives? And I've got mentors and coaches that have more years of experience, more financial independence than I do. And I'm listening to their philosophies very carefully right now and trying to decide what mine will be. 
but it's a cool journey. I enjoy the ride. I think it's fun. Anybody that wants to start a business and go through it, even if it doesn't work, I mean, it's still an awesome experience. Oh, yeah. As long as you are responsible with that risk and you're not putting your family's life in jeopardy, but you have a side hustle or a side business that may grow into something bigger than itself, mm-hmm. like go for it. That's great. It's part of growth. That's part of the growth cycle. And you're in America. I mean, it's yeah. the best place in the world to do that. You might as well take advantage of where you were born and the opportunities and access to capital here and do something. I like it. Well, let's end with some of your favorite books that have inspired you aside from <clears throat> my book. But maybe some of the books that have inspired you. And well, first off, so I've told the story before of like a good friend actually introducing me to Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that mm-hmm. was you. I love that book, right? Yeah, read all those. You told me you need to read these two books. So it was Rich Dad Poor Dad, and then it was The Millionaire Next Door. And I was like, so I read them both, and it was like, I like this one. This one kind of sucks. I was like, throw that. I don't want to like drive some 1975 yeah. like Chevy for the rest of my life. And I was the opposite. <laughs> Kiyosaki and his stuff. It was great. It was good. It helped shape my way of thinking. But I actually you went to the other way. The other way. In a different life, I should have been like an investment advisor or wealth manager. I enjoy personal finance and studying the strategies and self-taught. And I think that's why The Millionaire Next Door, The Millionaire Mind, both those books, they hit me hard. And I was like, well, yeah, I could do that. I grew up blue collar. I didn't have everything handed to me. I'm self-made. So I connected a lot with the real millionaires in America and identified with that. And I said, okay, I can live this way, but but be comfortable and just make sure I'm investing and saving and, and building assets so that I can have fun, live life, be happy along the way, but also accumulate a bunch of wealth. Mm-hmm. And so I do love that book. So another book, at different phases of my careers, different books have kind of impacted me. I remember when I first became CEO in like 2011 or 12 of this organization, and it was gone through a really, really tough situation. I was kind of thrown into this massive adversity. And I read the Zappos book by oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Tony Shea, his group yeah, down the in happiness, Vegas, the, um, uh, Finding Happiness. Finding or, happy, yeah, yeah. And for some reason that I was creating a culture and a business and that his culture was awesome. So I tried yeah. to duplicate some of his things. And that book had a big impact on me for a number of years. Ready Game Fires, a sales book that's just, it taught me how sales is like the lifeblood to any business. And if you're going to get anything right, just get sales flying through the door. Revenue buys you time to fix operations. and to, So ready, fire, aim. Ready, fire, aim. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm sorry. And so I was like, yeah. And I was, came from sales. I started in sales. I had a passion for sales. And I was trying to teach myself how to be a CEO, which is very challenging transition. But I've taken that to this company and to the other companies I'm involved with. And I'm like, I really don't care about all the other stuff until sales is... Don't mess with their juju. Get them their comp plans. Get them in a good place where they're bringing revenue in. And that book was hit me at the right time. So Michael Masterson's the author. I don't know if you, I don't know you ever read any of his books. So I tell a story in the book where I worked with one of his companies. I first met him and like my experience in his office in South Florida. He's an amazing business person. But yeah, that's a powerful book. Ready, fire, aim. Yep, that was a good one. Every personal development. Wealth. I read all the Tony Robbins books, all the Dave Ramsey books, including his last book, The Final Journey or whatever it's called, where he talks about the last step once you pay your house off or something like that. This is how you build your legacy. And I enjoyed that book. All the Brian Tracy and his books are always pretty good. The mindset books. Yeah, the mindset books. I wish I should have made a top 10 list for you before I walked in. You can send them to me. Put them in the show notes. Okay, I'll do that. Let me go look at the library and I'll, I'll come back with you. All right. So now let's talk to end. Like, what do you consider like some of your driving business principles? So a driving business principle, <clears throat> courage, or it could be drive or tenacity, or it could be customer first, or it could, you know, 
And I know this is all on the spot. As you've looked at maybe your, the evolution of your business, what do you consider some of those top principles? That's a great question. I would say, yeah, so we have at Orbit, this company I work for now, like some people call it a credo or your core values or mm. whatever like that. I think deciding that really upfront is a huge part of it. And it, the words that we have on ours pretty much tell you kind of who we are and how we think. And 212 is one of those little Absolutely. words on there. And so that you just have to be willing to work very, very hard and sometimes long in the beginning. Later on, you can balance things correctly. So you're taking care of business at home. So you can take care of business at work and be your very, very best without distractions. That's important. Coming together as a team and creating an environment of respect where you treat people how you want to be treated. Most of our company, we don't use bad language. We're pretty conservative in that we just don't yell at each other. We have crucial conversations, but we try to have a high level of respect so that they will pour their heart into the business. And it's a win-win for both the employee and for the management team and the company. So that's another one. Continuously improving. There's this guy I studied for years. Jim Rohn is his name. Mm -hmm. Ingrained in my head to work harder on yourself than you do at your job. Mm -hmm. So we have continuous improvement. Like We want to continuously work on ourselves, knowing that there's better ways of doing everything we do. We just haven't discovered them yet. And every year, we find more and more nuggets that we should have found much sooner that would allow us to monetize our ideas so much quicker, but we didn't. So that culture of continuous improvement and getting people comfortable working on themselves and not sensitive about it or not willing to do it, that's hard to do. But if you can create that culture, your business could evolve very, very, very quickly. Those are a few that come to mind right now. I think in the beginning, if you're a startup, you got to hustle, you got to bootstrap, you got to just extremely hard until you have enough contracts, enough cash coming in the door. Then you stabilize things. Then you work on efficiencies. Then you squeeze that Toyota ways, another good, better, best. Jim Collins books. Those are other books that had a big impact at a certain period in my life or how to win friends, influence other people. Those ones come to mind, like just classics. You got to read the Covey books. But yeah, you'll crank the efficiency squeeze that wrench and, and become more efficient over time. But you got to hustle in the beginning. Yeah, that comes first. The hustle comes first. The efficiency, there's never an end to it. Yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> right. The last thing I feel important to say, the best leaders that I've been around, like they have this arrogance about them, but they also have this humility where they realize that they need to get people around them and they need to stay in their lane. I think I've learned that these last few years as we failed in a lot of different areas. We've tried things and fell on our face. It did not work. And then I go before my team and say, guys, it was an awesome, valiant effort, but bad decision, my bad, my tail's between my legs. That's course correct and go a different way. You got to be okay with that. I watched like some of my most successful partners in some of my businesses. You got to learn from them, ask them questions, take their strengths and shorten your learning curve so that you can be more effective quicker instead of trying to learn it yourself and just trial and error every single time. Yeah. Like you got to get shorten that gap with better people around you. Get your network where it needs to be. Because we've talked extensively about this over the last few years where I think there's a turning point in business when you look in others, you look more for their failures than you look for their actual wins. Not from like a competition or you failed, therefore you're not relevant. It's like the failures where it's the lessons that can be learned through somebody going through failure is profound. And you you taught me through some of the stuff that you did about certain like insurance that you can get for these type of events that can protect you here, 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 here would save me in a few different areas. It was amazing. But it's like, I now look for where people fell short and what they did because of that and where they succeeded. Yep. Because you don't know what you don't know. Totally. That's how true, I think leverage, right, comes in so many different forms of one of the best leverage, especially for entrepreneurs, business owners, 
is that you look where others have failed massively who came back. Don't want to find the people that failed and gave up. You want to find the failure where they came back and why, what did they learn? What were those lessons? Yep. And they were humble enough to share those with you. And and that's why these mastermind groups and these groups that come together and you can learn from people that came back, beat the odds, and now are sharing their story and then helping other people. That's where I'm at in my career right now. I'm, I'm trying to like surround myself with these winners that can help me just avoid some of the mistakes at this size of my company as I'm trying to scale it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And New Utah's cool. There's a lot of good entrepreneurs here, a lot of people that take big risks. There's I'm a lot learning. of firing. There's a lot of it. Ready, fire. Yeah. They're still aiming. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a good way to put it. But it's energizing for, for me. For sure. Totally. Um, it helps me keep my saw sharp and stay hungry. Remember, the wolf is always scratching. And any success I think I've had, it could go away really quick. So I need to just keep pushing, taking the punches, moving forward. And hopefully at the end of the day, I'm happy and loving life and what I want to do. That's what it's all about. Well, we didn't get in any of our misgivings when we were yeah. kids. That would have been another interesting. podcast. That's another, yeah, that's another couple of podcasts. <laughs> you did a great job for your first podcast. I'm grateful that it's done. The next one, I promise I will be more prepared and to hopefully say something that will help your listeners. Cool. You give me your book list. We'll put that on the show notes. I'll do that. Have you on again for your second, uh, second one. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Okay. All right, everyone. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for taking this season. I mean, obviously, we've had some guests that are in different fields and different positions of life, uh, talking about more of the philosophical points of entrepreneurship. And this is obviously a very practical podcast. The coming ones, we have some cool guests. Both of Milton Friedman's sons will be on over the next few months. Milton Friedman was the founder of the Chicago School of Economics and wrote a lot of books in relation to freedom and capitalism that play right into the idea of entrepreneurship. But this season is going to be awesome. Hope you guys can take what you're hearing and apply that. Even if you're at a business or working for somebody else, applying some of those principles right now, taking action on that, whether that's discovering more about you, whether that's understanding the importance and dynamic of relationships, especially professional relationships. I hope you got some nuggets of wisdom today, but I can't wait for what you guys have in store for uh, the remaining episodes of our season. So thanks for your support today. And Brandon, thank you again. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.